Hi, everyone, and thanks for joining us for another episode of Lifeline Torah with Rabbi Yaakov Zergand. To Bishvat, did you celebrate this past week? If not, you've come to the right place. Rabbi Zergand will be talking about the significance of this holiday and how it impacts our life, what we can learn from the trees around us. Stay tuned.
Is the tree of the field a man that it should enter the sea before you? So we have a commandment here that you're not to cut down a tree, a fruit tree, because it's supposed to give us nourishment, to give us our food. But at the same time, he tells us, he finishes up by saying that the man is like a tree in a field. Now, in what way is a tree like a, like a, like a tree, like a man, a tree in the field? How is a tree in the field like a man, is the question. Now, we know we take a seedling and we plant, put it in the ground and it has to rot there. And after many time, and many years, it develops into a tree.
as, as a young adult, they become firmer and firmer, they know what they want, they have more strong feelings about things, and they don't, and they don't, that they don't get affected by too many side things, they, they kind of stay focused on what and how they want to go, and that's the whole story, they don't need anything else. Then, the next stage is, they start to produce. They're married, children, similarly to, to the tree. The tree too, as it matures, it starts producing fruit. And these fruits become plentiful and plentiful so that other people can benefit from it. And this is what the, what the Torah is telling us when he tells us that a man is like the tree in the field. That this tree in the field just says when it's standing in the field, it stands here all year. And actually, at a certain level, that tree is even greater than the human being. Why? The human being gets affected by the different elements, the different weather, whether it's raining, it's cold, whether it's snowing, it's sleeting, whatever it is, the, the, the person gets affected by it. It says, no, I've got to run inside. The tree, it doesn't run anywhere. It stays, stays put. It stays solid as he was. And yeah, maybe a few branches might fall off of it as, as the winds come in or things of that nature. But for the most part, it's solid. It stays there like a, like a soldier. He knows he has to be there because tomorrow, tomorrow meaning the spring and the summer he, and the fall, he's got to produce um, leaves and, and fruits, etc., etc. And therefore, he's, he's firm. And that's what a person is supposed to be like. The person, too, is supposed to be just like that. Just like that tree. Even though he's kind of useless during the winter time, for the most part. Pretty much useless. Except for, God forbid, somebody is driving and slides ice and runs into a tree. That's the only thing he's been useful in the winter time to fall down a little bit, if anything. But other than that, they're useless, the trees, in the winter time. But nonetheless, that tree stands there firmly in place, doesn't budge because he knows he has a job. He has a mission to do. That mission is to produce. And so too we are supposed to be like that. That we are supposed to be, even though wherever we might find ourselves, even if we're in some, some small hick town somewhere, and we say to ourselves, what am I doing here of all places? Or what, what can I, what, how can I benefit the world by my being in this town somewhere? There are no Jews here. There are no, there's no church here. There's nothing here for me. There's nothing that I can relate to. How can I, why should I stay here? So this is, we go back to when Jacob was, was when on his journey and he was going down to Laban's house and he stopped on the, on the way and he took the stone put it around his head to protect him from the elements. And it says there, this is back in Genesis, and it says there that what happened, he he, was, he got up in a, in, a, in, a, in a panic. He got up in a panic and he's asking, this is in, in Genesis 28. The story goes verses um, 15, 15 to 20. And he's saying over there, he says, Behold, here I am. Hashem was standing over him, and he said, I am Hashem, God of Abraham, your father. This is when he sees the ladder, when he's dreaming about the ladder, with the angels going up and down. Okay? Then when he gets to, to 
to verse 16, he tells us, Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely Hashem is present in this place, and I didn't know. And he's, and he's beside himself. How is it that I didn't know this? And he became frightened. And he said, How awesome is this place? How awesome is this place? This is none other than the abode of God. And this is the gate of the heavens. In other words, he's in the middle of nowhere, and he's contemplating, where is he? Is, there, is it possible there's a God over here, and I don't know that? And then he realizes, what are you talking about? Sure, there's a God here. Not only is a God here, but this is the gateway to the heavens. What does that mean? That being in the middle of nowhere, and he recognizes that Hashem is everywhere, even in the midst of his forest that he just found himself in. And he realizes that that's where he, that Hashem is over there too. That's when he gets it. That's the point of this tree. This tree is supposed to remind me that even when I am in a place or at a time of the year that I am kind of um, useless, nonetheless, I have a mission to accomplish even during this winter time when there's no trees, there's no fruit, there's no leaves, there's nothing going on other than the potential for tomorrow's new produce to come in. And that is what the, the tree is, how the tree compares to the man and actually is the, supersedes the man. Because the man, he has feelings and he says, no, it's too cold, I'm going inside. I'm not going to stick around in, in, the, in, in the cold weather. I'm going to go down to Florida for the winter time with the, 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 the snowbirds to go down to, to, to Florida. No, that's not, she doesn't run down to Florida. If she stays put, because she knows he has a mission. And even when you are in a place, or when one is found in a, finds himself in a place that seems to be, that I have no business here, I have nothing going on here that I have to be here for. And it seems strange that I was dragged down here, whether it's because of business, family, whatever it is, but I'm kind of a lost soul in this area, understand that Hashem placed us here. Nothing happens in this world without Hashem's intervention. And when He intervenes, He does it for His good, even if I don't necessarily see a good in it, but it's for His good, and I don't have to necessarily see a good. As, as Isaiah tells us, my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your ways, and my speech is not your speech. So don't even try to emulate or try to figure it out because you're not going to. It's not for you to figure it out. You weren't there at the beginning of time. You're not going to be there at the end of time. I was. And I'm in control of the whole program from start to finish. And therefore, even if to me it makes no sense whatsoever for me to be where I am at this time, for you to figure out. And, I, and I'm going to share with you a story that happened with me just last, this past week on Thursday. So I had to do errands on Thursday. And among the errands was I had to get gas for the car. Because I usually go out early morning on Sunday. It's okay. I'm safe about the snowstorm. I'm not going anywhere. But at that time, I didn't even know about a snowstorm coming. So I had to plan. So I was going to go get gas on Thursday. Well, so I had a plan where I was going to get my gas. I usually get my gas on Thursday. But at some point, I remembered my son, one of my boys, asked me to get him something. And this one, this item is something that I can only get if possible. 
she likes to want some katsu. So I said, you know what? Ah, I'm out anyway. I can run to katsu. And they have gas over there too. It's a decent price. So might as well go to Costco. I go to Costco. And I think myself, it's kind of strange. People don't go to Costco for just one item. I mean, people go to Costco, they, they spend between two hundred and five hundred dollars. Like the sign I saw the guy standing at the corner with a, with a with a post. He says, "I'm not homeless. It's just my wife is at Costco." Okay, so people don't just go shopping for one item. They they fill up a basket, and I feel kind of silly going into Costco just for one item that my son wanted. But I said, you know what? I, I, to satisfy my son, I'll go there. I'll pick up just so it's one item. Well, lo and behold, that one item became a whole long conversation. And this conversation was with a, with a person, an African-American person and he says to me, can I ask you a question? And I'm thinking, okay, it's a question. I'm ready for questions. And the question is, he says it's a religious question. And so I'm listening to the question. His question was basically, What's going to happen? Is, is, is the world going to be destroyed when the Shia comes? Or is it going to be, an, a, how's this new order going to be? It says it's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. So what's going to happen over there? So I said to him, well, you have to understand that Hashem works in ways that we don't necessarily understand. And, and let's assume I came to you three years ago, and I told you that you're going to wear a mask in a, in a Costco, and everybody around you on Costco is going to wear a mask. Would you have thought, would you have believed me? Would you have thought I was a nut job? And not only that, I said, and if, and if somebody doesn't wear a, a mask, people are going to shock them. You would have thought I was a nut job three years ago. But yet, that's exactly what Hashem has done to us. So he changes things. On his time frame, on his schedule, the way he wants to change things, and he just does it in a way that kind of is, we call it, it's enclosed within the, the laws of nature. So it happens that we have viruses, it happens that we have illnesses, and it happens all kinds of things happen in, in, in nature. So therefore, it, these are things that he does. And therefore, when we look at how is it going to happen because there's going to be a new world order, quote unquote? He does it in his, on his time frame. He knows how to do it. I don't know how. It's the same thing going to ask me, how is he going to, um, he asked me about, how am I going to bring sacrifices if the Temple Mount is, has this, uh, this mosque over there? How are we going to be able to bring sacrifices in this So I said, well, number one is, Ezekiel tells us that there will be sacrifices, and it'll be in the temple. It's not going to be any but rather in the temple. And how is he going to make it happen? I said, well, let, let's think back a minute. At the beginning of this virus outbreak, do you know that on the Temple Mount, it was restricted from even Muslims to go on? I'm sure, I see Mark Powers is here. I'm sure Mark Powers remembers that and probably can say something about that. Absolutely. Okay, so we thank you. So as we see that that if Hashem wants the Temple Mount to be vacant, He knows how to do it, and He doesn't have to come with, with bulldozers. He doesn't have to come with with an atom bomb. He knows how to do it. 
seems that that's a, a favorite question of uh, missionaries and Christians, you know, now that you no longer have the temple, what are you going to do about your sins? And um, 
I have a, a similar answer to the one that you gave. Uh, only I look at it a little a little broader because I, I've done some traveling. And uh, I ask if they're familiar with the Berlin Wall and the yep. Soviet Union. And having traveled to the Soviet Union numerous times during the dark days, uh, it was, it was impossible for me to comprehend how this behemoth could possibly be taken down. And yet, it happened in almost the blink of an eye. It happened so fast that um, people got whiplash from it. And there really is no other explanation then it was Hashem's hand at work. Um, you know, the, the Berlin Wall was there one day, and the next day it was gone. The Soviet Union was there one day, and the next day the entire empire was gone. And, you know, uh, the Temple Mount is a, a relatively small area, but when you consider the magnitude of the Soviet Union and, and what impact it had on the world at the time, and to see it gone in the blink of an eye, I don't believe that there's any other explanation than that's what Hashem wanted, and that's what happened. So if somebody asks me, you know, what are you going to do about the big blue mosque that's sitting there? Uh, you know, my answer is it's going to make uh, very, very nice accommodations for people who want to stay overnight. Yep, yep. And you find the same thing with the uh, Pacher. Rounded. He had 800,000 men around Jerusalem. And they were all killed overnight. Think of an eye. In other words, Hashem does things. He doesn't, he doesn't conform to our understanding of nature. Because he operates above nature and in nature. And he is nature. He's everything. As Ram says, he is knowledge. He is the, the, the knowledge and the knowing and he knows that and, and the brain behind it. So he's everything. And therefore when you understand Hashem at that level, it's not a question. It's not a question. You know, we have questions. We go through life with all kinds of questions. And you know, they asked the the, the Bilgenberger Rebbe, he lived through the Holocaust. And he actually witnessed his wife being killed and his ten children being killed in front of his eyes. And he went lived through the Holocaust. And after the Holocaust, somebody came over to him and asked him, he says, how can you explain the Holocaust? He says, you know, I'd rather live down here and have a question than go upstairs and find out the answer. Because the only answer is up there. He's got all the answers. But I got time to find out the answer. I'd rather live here with a question mark. And that's our relationship to Hashem. He knows what he's doing, and we shouldn't even say that we have a question. It, 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 it behooves us to say that we have a question. How come Hashem does this? Tell me, when, 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 when you have a job, I was discussing this just yesterday, so when somebody gets a job, and he, and he has a, gets a paycheck on a regular basis, do you think that's not a miracle? It is a miracle. I mean, just imagine what it was like for a Jew to have a job in the 20s, in the 30s, in the 40s, and even in the 50s in America, 
to keep a job is impossible to be Shomer Shabbos, to keep Shabbos. It's impossible. They, unless they have their own business. And even then it was difficult. So for somebody today to have a job and to think that it's well, normal, I went to college, I got a degree, and I got a, and therefore I, I, I earned it, and therefore I deserve it? Really? Hashem gives us what we need when we need it. Not because of our our strength and our own abilities, but rather because Hashem's mercy gives it to us. We had a discussion about miracles. What is a miracle and what is not a miracle? So I, I pointed out, and how does a miracle manifest itself? So a miracle really is something that comes direct, is a direct hit from Hashem without any intermediary. There's no filters to get it down here to us. And that's why when we see the miracle, we're in awe, we're in shock. Remember when, when the, the, what was his name, Sol, uh, uh, Sulfur, the, the, the pilot that landed the, the plane on the Hudson, whatever his name was, I forget his, his pilot's name, whatever it is, the next day in the newspaper, every newspaper had the miracle on Hudson. Why? Because it, we can't comprehend such a thing. So to us, these are miracles. When Hashem comes out in the raw form, but reality is when I can talk, when I can sing, when I can do anything with my hands, is nothing short of a miracle that Hashem is doing to us. But He gives it, gives it to us with filters. And therefore, it doesn't appear as a, as a miracle. It seems natural. It seems natural that I can do all these things. But the reality is that we, that's why when we get up in the morning, we pray to Hashem. The fact that I can open my eyes, that I can put my feet on the ground, that I can put on clothing, I can do all these things. Why? Because it's a miracle. And throughout the day, we have to recognize this. And that's why the Torah tells us, and the Psalm tells us, that the, the, all, all the neshamas, all the, all the souls have to praise God. And the Psalm tells us that, that we can play around with the word again and say, call neshima. For every breath that we take, we have to be praising Hashem. It's not just that for every, you know, just because we, we were saved from, a, from an accident, God forbid. Even the fact that I can live and walk and talk and do all the things that I'm doing, those are miracles. But we don't view them as miracles because we take it as natural. I should be allowed to. I should. It's part of my me. Who, that's part of who I am. But the reality is that everything that happens in this world is all based on the mercy of Hashem. And, and that's not smart. Not that I need to, to answer this, but I want to say, as that I deny what you're saying about the the, what the, 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 Kreml, the Kremlin falling and the, and the Berlin Wall falling, but those are things that happened so long ago that it's out of our, our history already. I'm we're, old. We're, what? What? I'm old. What do you want? I know. We're, I guess we're in the same boat. We, we remember these things, but we have to talk about something that people can relate to today. Right, and but more, you know, we need... We need something that is that is big, something of that magnitude, right. and uh, you know you you can't you can't throw uh, uh, Trump's failed reelection or uh, um, even even the Arab peace deals with Israel. It, right. It's it's not as big. No, but I do have, since you mentioned the Arab the Arab peace deals, I want to mention something that I, I mentioned to several people lately, and that is something think about. You probably remember when George H.W. Bush was president, he had a defense a, a secretary of state named James Baker. He was, try, he was trying to convince uh, 
George Bush was trying to convince Israel to concede to the, to the Arabs. And in fact, sent James Baker over to Israel to make sure that this happened. And as soon as he landed in Israel, I don't know if you remember this, as soon as he landed in Israel, he got a call from America that his mother is gravely ill and he must return immediately. What? That's exactly what he did. So we talk about Hashem doing things, even when already I sent the guy over there. I can get back. And we have to recognize this is Hashem at work. And now we got to get him to work on uh, the guy we got in the White House now. Yeah, I know. Don't worry, he will. He gets it. He does it. Because now he's getting some backlash from, from some of the governors that he's cutting down the, the fracking and the and the and the keystone pipes. So he's getting some backlash already. Well, we can we can definitely see with COVID, you know, like he just brought everything to a big halt. Um, and who, like you said, who would have ever thought, you know, in our lifetime we would see such a thing? Right. We're so smart. We can we can handle anything. But yes, as I say, I I often say you're so smart, you're so stupid. Okay. <laughs> Okay, so that's as far as the tree goes and the person. Now I want to talk about the, the Pasuk Parsha, which is unusual in the fact that the Haftorah that we read is the Haftorah of a song that Deborah sang. Mm. Now, there's also another Haftorah. So if we want to do a Haftorah that has something to do with a, a song, those by a prophet or a leader, we have one of David, which actually we do say it on on, on Pesach. On Pesach, we say that after David's um, song. So why are we giving a lot to do with this Deborah's song? And not only that, short of the Haftorah of Yonah, which is read on your, on your Kippur afternoon, this is the next, the longest Haftorah that is read. Mm. And so, and this is all about the Torah. Why are we giving so much credence to women? Not that women are second-class citizens. I don't mean to do it that way. But rather, in Torah, we don't find that attention to women. And yet here, we're giving such a big chunk of time and effort into the story of the Torah and her um, song that she composed. So, before we go there, we need to see something else in the parsha, which is related to this. And that is that after the man, the men sang, it says that the women came along, and not only did they sing, but they came out with trampolines and drums, and they made a whole big to-do about it. Okay, they came, they came out, and they, and they were clapping and, and doing all kinds of things. Why, so the question is first, why didn't the men go out with such musical instruments? They were just singing. But the women came out with all kinds of musical instruments. Why? But the answer is that the miracle happened at the same And the first ones to be, to recognize it was, were the men. But the women recognized the, something deeper and they were they were spared from something a little harsher than the men were you know 
men, men are hardworking people, and they, and they are involved in all kinds of things. Um, but the women, so they're out on the job. They're, the men are usually out doing what they have to do, and they're not involved with the raising of the children. They're not involved with the house in preparing the food for the, for the house or buying or doing the shopping for the house. It's the women that do all that, or typically. I know I get feedback on that, but typically women are the ones that run the, run the house. They're called the Akeret Habayim. They're the ones that that care and that the salvation of the house. And when they, they nurture the child, the husband and wife, they have a child. The child is raised for nine months in the, in the, in the woman's womb. Then the child is born. The husband is out of work. The mother is there raising that child. And the mother is there teaching the child to say the modani, say the blessings, and say all the things that have to be do all the things that have to happen. So it's the mother really that's raising the child. So the woman is the one that felt the pain the most. When Paro made a decree that every first child that's born has to be thrown into the Nile, that every woman felt the pain. What do you mean? I raised this child. I, I had this child for nine months into me. And now and then I raised him. And now you can tell me I have to throw him in the Nile? The man, what did he do? Sort of, yeah, it's a child at some level, it's important, but who feels it most? And that's why the women were so overjoyed when this whole this episode with Paro was over. When they saw that Paro was drowning and his, all of his henchmen were all drowning, they were the happiest. That's why they went out and all this stuff. And that too is why we read the Torah. And not of David. Although David was a great warrior and he fought a lot. He did a lot of good things. In fact, he, the, the whole, most of the Psalms were songs that he had prepared because he was told he's not going to rebuild the temple. He's not going to build the temple. He wanted to build the temple for God, but he was told because he has blood on his hands, he can't build the temple. So he said, All right, I'm going to do what I can to make sure that the temple. And that's why he prepared this song. And this is what the Levites used as songs when they sang in the temple. So he did what he could without having to specifically join So although he was that had that magnitude of, of a person, but nonetheless, nonetheless, when it comes to the, the, the relationship of, of, of a child and, 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 a, and a woman, nothing is stronger. That's why when the Torah wants to give um, emphasis on the song, and, and this is really what the Torah is about, it's to show about the, how the great glory of victory of war, Deborah is one to bring to the table because she um, epitomized the concept of what it means to be able to, to, to win a war and to be able to victory. Now, in the grammar, there's another problem here with the grammar. When we read the, in the Torah, when it says, yeah, so in the verse, it says, but ta'an lahem fer yam. 
the verses of 15 in Exodus 15:21, and the word says, and it says like this: Miriam spoke up to Zen, but the Zen in Hebrew could be Lahem in the masculine or Lahen in the feminine. When you read it in English translation, you don't have any questions. It doesn't make sense to them, whoever the them is. But when you read it in Hebrew, that's why go back to the discussion about translation. Our translations are really bad because they don't give an accurate uh, picture of what is being translated. Okay, so let's say the word them could be lahem in the masculine or lahen in the feminine. And in the Hebrew, it says lahem in the masculine. So when it says that all the women went out with their with their instruments, it says, and Miriam answered them in the masculine. Why does it say in the masculine? It should be in the feminine. So the, there's a medrash, an interesting medrash. The medrash says that the angels, when, when Pharaoh was drowning, so the angels came to, to God and says, you know, we should be really the ones to be singing praises to you, not because we made it happen. Hashem says, no, no, no. They're the ones that have to suffer. They're the ones that are gonna, gonna sing. And they're gonna, they're gonna do the song. So they sang. After they sang, the angels came back to God and said, Hashem, now can we sing? So Miriam answered the angels. And that's why it's lahem to them in the man, masculine, not in the feminine, because she answered those angels and said, no, we suffer even more than the men. And therefore we should be singing before them. And only after that, the angels have their turn at singing. And this again shows the importance that Hashem gives in our Torah to women, even though it might be that once in a while we get a big Flash about the women, but nonetheless, that big splash is an important splash. <laughs> the men, okay, they're out there working. I often say, you know, they say you talk about that, that women live longer than men. Why? Because men, women are never going to do the job that men go out to do. You ever see a woman climb 40 feet up in the air to, 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 to cut a tree down? You want to find a woman doing that. So they'll, men will risk their life. You won't find me doing that either. What? <laughs> Okay, but nonetheless, we're talking men as a general rule. Okay? It's more like, let's put it this way, even though you might not climb a tree, but nonetheless, you'll still do probably more risky things than your wife will. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. Okay, so the point is that a man will do more risky things. So therefore, because they're out there as warriors and involved in things, so that's why the Torah is comprised primarily of what's going on in the, in the uh, with men. But... That doesn't mean that we deny women anything. In fact, there's a whole to do about the daughters of Slavchas. In fact, there's two places in the Torah where the where somebody stumped Moshe Rabbeinu. Moses was stumped twice in the Torah. One was the, for the people that came to Moses about the Passover sacrifice. And they said, you know what? Why should we miss out on the sacrifice? You know, we were busy burying Joseph, and we were supposed to do that. So therefore, we weren't able to be there for the first to be able to, sacri to sacrifice the Passover in time. So why should we, we lose out on that deal? 
Moses says, I don't know, you're right, you got a good point. There was another time when Moses was found. And that was with the daughters of Potiphar. When they came and asked about the, the inheritance. He said, what's well, my fault that we don't, that my father left us with no, with no voice. So therefore we get nothing, the father's uh, uh, property is, is, is down the drain. Again, they stumped Moses. And I asked the question, why is it that Moses was stumped by these two questions, actually? Think about it. What, what was Moses stumped by these two questions? I mean, everything else he knows. In fact, by Jethro, Jethro is telling him, like when I read in this week's Parsha, that Jethro is telling him, why are you standing all day and judging people? You take a break, let the other guys do it, and you and to have a big question that comes to you. So obviously he knows how to deal with all these big questions. So why is it they were being stumped by these two questions that these two people have? And my answer is, is an interesting answer. And that is that if you think about these two, these two questions, they have one thing in common. The question is not a halakhic question. It's an emotional question. The people, when they come about this, about sparing the children, logically, they have no sense. They have no recourse. They were not clean, period, done. The Torah says you have to be clean on this day, then you can bring the sacrifice. If you're not clean, you're not done. You don't give me an excuse that I was busy with this, I was busy with that. It's a great thing that you were doing. But that has nothing to do with the sacrifice, okay? The same thing is with the daughters of the class. It's an emotional question. Legally, they have the right. But, but, but you know what, it kind of feels bad for me, you know, that I, my father didn't have any, any sons. So it's an emotional question. A rabbi is not trained or is not supposed to be answering emotional questions. They're supposed to answer a lot of questions. You go to rabbi, it's a lot of questions. Is it, am I allowed to do this or am I not allowed to do this? Is this kosher or is it not kosher? Emotion, you go to the psychiatrist. And, and I saw your note that you wrote them that, that Powers, um, to talk about the Yeah, so, so being a That's where the person has to go when they have an emotional question, not to a rabbi. And but, but, so, but again, in both of those cases, in both those cases, when Moses actually spoke to Hashem, two new laws came about. One about the sacrifice for Passover, we have now faith up to Shady, that we have the opportunity for those that missed it, that they can make up for it in the second time. And as well, that a woman can inherit as well. That was also something that came about as a result. So here too, we had the women that came in to the picture, and we gave them the credence that we had to give them, and we, and in fact, we have now a whole law based on that. So it's not that we try to shun the women, or that we're chauvinistic, but rather, for the most part, it was the men that was out there doing the thing, and they were the ones. And in fact, we see even by the building of the temple, but they have to sew all the all the different uh, skins. It says the women. The women were involved. They give credit to all those women that were involved in making all those all those skins, all those colors, and all that stuff. So we see that we do give credit to the women. It's just it has to be in its proper time and proper place. That's what we did in this week's parsha. We gave a lot of credence to the Devorah, and just as we know that that the Devorah, when she fought, she fought in order to to be able to establish the Jewish nation as a nation. Also, we should merit that we should, in her merit and in Moses' merit, that he went and 
took us out of out of the Pharaoh and out of, out of the Egypt, so we should also to get out of this scholars together with all the all the nonsense that's out there. And we should already have the, the Temple Mount with our holy temple sitting on its place. Questions, thoughts, or comments? Speak up so other people can hear. Absolutely, but this is but this is the, the this is the, the kindness and the mercy of our, this country, quote unquote, that we would allow people to just abort children for no reason. Rabbi Zirkin, could you reframe his questions uh, so we could hear? I we couldn't hear. All right. So his question is basically, how do we address since two Fridays ago was the anniversary, the 40th anniversary of Roe versus and if we're giving so much credence to women, and women, yes, they raise the children and all that, and and here we, we the, the country as a whole praises this uh, this decision. Good point, Mark. What's that? I yeah. said that's a good point. Good question. Yeah. So the answer is, you're right. That this is this is the problem. That we consider ourselves a, a country of, of kindness and of mercy and all that, and yet we look up to the to these judges that. Agree that the Roe versus Wade, but the reality is there is nothing. There's nothing kind and merciful about this. Nothing at all. In fact, in fact, I want to tell you something. You know, there's a, there's a debate among the religions. It's partially a joke and partially true. <laughs> so the debate among the religions is what when is the child considered viable? So according to the, to, to the Catholic religion, it's viable at conception. Whereas the Jews, they hold that it's not, that it's not viable until they graduate from high school. That's the joke part, okay? But, but according to Jews, it's not viable until after they go to the full term. Okay? So again, I'm strengthening your question. I'm not denying your question. I'm strengthening your question that according to this country as a, as a, as a Catholic country, why is it that it, 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 up, it, it appreciates and adores this ruling of Roe versus Wade? Because the answer to that is because all the mercy, and this is what it says that the, the Talmud tells us, that all the mercy that the, a Gentile does is for their own benefit. It's only when they can benefit from it. And that's what you see, you know, all, this, um, all these politicians Oh, I'm going to give you this, and I'm going to give you that. I'm going to give it to you. Why? Because tomorrow you can vote for me. It's not because I have 
because I have mercy on you and I want to give you something, it's because I'm going to get something in return. And if I don't get anything in return, I'm going to dump you just like everybody else. And that was the Roe versus Wade, because this is what the women wanted to be able to be in control of their body, and nobody should tell them what they can do with their body. And therefore, this is what the masses wanted to hear. That's why they, they, they ignored this rule, because this gives them, gives them the right to do just that. But the reality is, this is the most destructive thing that a nation can do for itself. It's no worse than what China did when they said that only every person can only have one child. It's no worse. And I think it's it's also important to note that it, it always struck me as really sad when uh, when you think about it all around, but in Israel that you know this is I, I think it's still legal and often free to uh, choice for women and you know upwards of fifty thousand a year. That's just staggering. I think it's also interesting to note that while the Supreme Court has made the Roe versus Wade decision, in an instance where a uh, mother is murdered while carrying a child who is not full term, the murderer is charged with double homicide for both the mother and the child. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like a, it's, like a, it's like a contradiction it, on itself. Self-destructive. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, that's a difficult one because, you know, you can go back and forth and there's so many different circumstances and, and medical circumstances and so forth. And at the end of the day, Hashem has allowed it, that choice to, to be made. And that's also puzzling. It's hard to grab, you know, wrap the mind around it um, on many levels. Um, but I don't know. This, I think, is a really good point, Mark. Okay, very good. See you all next week. Definitely. All right, sounds good. And also, I just wanted to say, um, just uh, pray that today's study was to the merit of the healing of Stacy Kenzer, Teresa Colucci, and Al Catrone. And I'm happy that we were already uh, able to remove somebody from this list. She, uh, Sonia Kippinger, she had gone in with a very severe um, circumstance to the hospital. And after our study, she was discharged and doing great. So. So if anyone has anyone to add for future studies, just uh, send a message beforehand and we'll add them. All right. Well, thank you, Rabbi Zirkin. I appreciate it. And thanks, everybody, for joining us. I hope you'll join us next week. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you all.